This morning we are going to be in Psalm 51, so if you want to start turning there, it's going to be our primary text this morning, but I'd like to pray real quick before we get started, Um, and then we'll go. So if you would join me in prayer. And so God, now as we come to the time uh, where we turn our attention to um, your word to us from your word, uh, God, we ask that you would, uh, that you would give us insight, that you would give us ears that are willing to hear, that you would give us eyes that are willing to see, God, that in everything we would we would desire from you uh, to hear from you because your words are like honey and they are sweet and they are good and they are wholesome to us. And so, God, as we look at your words today, God, My prayer is that we would all have an earnest desire to grow from the words that we hear today. And so, Lord, for me particularly, I pray that it would be far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In Jesus' good name. Amen. So it's been said that the shortest complete story in English was supposedly written by Ernest Hemingway. If it's true, it's only six words. And as I say these six words, I want you to close your eyes. Come on, play my game. Close your eyes for just a second. Here are the six words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Now open your eyes. How many of you, by show of hand, immediately went to what happened to the baby? We don't know, right? It could be that the child just grew. And just didn't need the shoes anymore. But I venture to guess most of us went to, where's the baby? Why, Why aren't the shoes needed? What happened to the baby? And in those six short words, what we find is all of life kind of summed up. We find potentially death. We find loss. We find brokenness. And this morning, brokenness is what we're really going to focus on the most, right? And there are ways that we can define brokenness. And brokenness can be something that's physical. It can be something that's spiritual. It can be something that's mental. It can be emotional. It can be all those things. It can be good and it can be bad. I work at the hospital. And for about a year and a half, I worked in the ER at the hospital. And the ER at the hospital is a level one trauma center, which means that if it... Here's how I tell people when I interview them. It says, if you saw it on TV and it says it went to a local hospital, that's where it came. It came to the Johnson City Medical Center, trauma level one trauma center, right? We get the broken of the broken of the broken there. 
I've seen things that I can't even say out loud because it's just not the time and place. But we see people at their absolute physical brokenness, but we also see them at their absolute mental and emotional brokenness, right? We see families of young people who have died of drug overdoses and we see them coming in the door and they get the message that their loved one died of that drug overdose and you just see it. They just, they fall apart. They melt. They break in that moment. That's a bad kind of brokenness. I want to talk about a good kind of brokenness this morning. Brokenness before God. Because we all need that, right? We all need to be broken before God. And one of the best examples for that, for us to go to and do expository preaching on, as David was talking about, is Psalm 51. So let's read the entirety of Psalm 51. Now, in in the Bible I'm using, it's got a little heading on here that says, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So what we know immediately about this is two things. Number one, this is a psalm that was written to be sung out loud as a hymn in the corporate body. We know number two, this is specifically David wrote this after a specific incident in his life that brought him to a place where he was broken before God. And here's what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So specifically, the episode that we are referring to that David has been confronted about is the the Bathsheba story, all right? Just real quick. David was hanging out on the roof one day. He was bored. He got to looking around. 
He saw something that didn't bore him anymore. But it wasn't his to have. So he he cooked up this thing in his heart that he was going to go after Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not his wife. She was the wife of Uriah. So to get Bathsheba, he had to get rid of Uriah. So he being the king and them being at war, he decided, well, I'm just going to send Uriah right into the midst of the battle and I'm going to make everybody draw away from him and I'm going to make sure he dies. So he made put a plan in place for that. He got ways that he would know that that had happened. So he sent it out. The report came back. Uriah's dead. Woo, go get Bathsheba. Or so we think. And then in 2 Samuel 12, though, we find that God wants to bring conviction to David's heart. So he sends the prophet Nathan to David. And here's what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. If you want to go there, if not, just write it down for later. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. And it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Wow. I mean, that's pretty bold to talk to the king like that. But what did he do? He confronted him in his sin. And so as we look at Psalm 51, we're going to find four truths that guide us to understanding really kind of what brokenness is. And that brokenness really is not bad when when we talk about being broken before God. And the first one is this, that brokenness, number one, before anything else, acknowledges the devastation of sin. Brokenness acknowledges the devastation of sin. Look at what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He uses three different words here, all describing the same type of act. Okay, So a transgression is something where there's a line in the sand and we purposely step over that line. Right? I loved Bugs Bunny as a kid. Right? Bugs Bunny was all the time doing that to Elmer Fudd and Daffy Duck, right? He would go, step over this line. Okay. Right? Step over this line. Okay. It's the same thing. We do the exact same kind of thing. It's a line of truth that's been drawn in the sand and we go, oh, I see it, but okay. That's what it means to transgress. Then we have uh, iniquity. Iniquity is kind of described as just that general penchant that we all have to sin, right? We call it original sin, that we were born in sin. He says that later, that we all have sin. And someday that sin is actually going to come out as an action, right? We're not guilty for original sin completely, but our actual act of committing sin is what makes us guilty before God. But that iniquity guarantees that it's going to happen. 
Then he says, my sin. And so sin ultimately can be described as rebellion. Rebellion. Rebellion against God. That's what sin can be ultimately described against. And in that moment when Nathan said to David, you are the man... All of that came flooding into David's mind, into David's heart, and he realized that he was a transgressor, that he was in, had iniquity, and that he was an absolute sinner. He was rebellious. He rebelled against God. So what did he do? Well, he could have done what Adam and Eve had done and run away. Or tried to fix it themselves. Remember? They, they, they sinned. And then they hid in the bushes, but then they tried to put plants on and make little mud flaps to cover their sin themselves. It doesn't work. David went the one and only place he could. He went straight to the character of God. Look at the words he uses. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. The, the Hebrew word is chesed. Unending, unstopping, never, ever, ever going to go away love. Have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your steadfast love. But he doesn't ask him to do it for his own sake. Look what he says in verse, eight, verse 4. He says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He goes immediately to the character of God. Now, I remember as a kid, when it was report card day, that was always kind of a rough day at my house. Because I, I hated school as a kid. I mean, to me, school was the most boring thing you could possibly ever do, right? The funnest part of school was taking my white school glue and spreading it out over my hand and waiting for it to dry so that I could peel it off and pretend I was a snake. It was the funnest part of my day. Either that or taking a ballpoint pen that you could take apart back in the day and you could shoot it at people. The little thing inside, you could shoot it at people. Kids, this is not an excuse not to do well in school, by the way. But school was boring to me. So grade card day was always a rough day in my house. So I knew I would always know what my grade card was said before mom and dad would come home. So I was usually not home when mom and dad came home. Right? I'd leave it laying on the table. And then I'd go find somewhere to hide. Why? Because I knew consequences were coming. I knew there was going to be something that was going to happen to me because I didn't perform at a certain level that was expected of me. There was a, there was a, there was a line in the sand and I failed, failed to abide by the line. And it caused me to want to run away. What David is teaching us is that even though brokenness acknowledges the devastation of sin, don't run from it. Run to God. Don't run away trying to avoid God. Run straight to Him. None of us is good at that. 
Which is why we need these reminders sometimes, right? That we, when we sin, we're, we're just like me with my great hearts. We go, oh, I've sinned, so I better, you know, God's over here. I better. Why? Because we're afraid he's got the smite button and he's just going to start. God's not like that. He has mercy. He has steadfast love. And if we'll go to him and ask him to forgiveness, just like 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But brokenness before him acknowledges that sin has effects. There is no sin known to man that doesn't affect the sinner, people around them, or God's name. And David recognized that he had done all three. He had sinned against himself, he had sinned against others, and he had most of all sinned against God. And the results of that were devastating. They were devastating. So brokenness acknowledges the devastation of sin. The next truth that we find, the next, the next big thing that we find is that brokenness desires forgiveness and restoration. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I love that first phrase. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant. It was kind of a bushy. It's kind of a bushy plant. But apparently it has some sort of antibacterial properties to it. And so what David is kind of asking for, if we look at the word picture of what he's asking for, he's asking for God to kind of fill up a syringe with some hyssop oil and some hyssop water, and he's asking him to take it and irrigate the sin out. Just like you would do if you had a big laceration on your arm. Before they could close that laceration up, they have to clean the wound. So it's purging it out. It's forcing it in. It's making it wash away. It's not just cover it with a band-aid. It's hide your face, God. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Now, I've never used an ink blotter. But I'm told that back in the day when they used to write with like quill pens and stuff like that, that if you wanted to erase something, you would write it and then you would take this this blotter thing and you would roll it over top of there and it would suck the ink out of the paper. I don't know, I've never used one. I'm just saying, that's what they tell me. That's what he's asking him to do, right? But he's asking him not to do it in such a way that you can still sort of see the tracing of the letters. Act God as if it never even happened is what he's asking him to do when he asks him to blot it out. God, I want you to treat me as if I've never even sinned by your mercy and your steadfast love. But look again at how broken he is because he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He feels such a weight from his sin that he can't even hear anything other than the echoes of it in his ears. That he feels as if his bones are broken, that he can't even stand up. And move around. 
And he acknowledges that he needs forgiveness. And he needs restoration. And more than anything else, he needs a clean heart. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is the man after God's own heart asking for a new heart. That's powerful. If the man after God's own heart needs to ask for a new heart periodically, needs to ask for his heart to be cleansed, needs to ask for forgiveness, needs to ask for restoration, don't we too? Don't we need to get that restoration with God from time to time? I know I do. Sometimes it seems like things, they just kind of stay there and we never get them out. But then God will break us. He'll, he'll, he'll break us and He'll bring that sin to mind and He can then bring that sin out. And we can be restored. And we can be forgiven. And then, and then, our brokenness can be turned into joy. Remember I told you, this is good brokenness. We don't want to stay in all that bad stuff. Our brokenness can be turned into joy. I want you to think back for just a second. Those of you that would say that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That moment. If you can point back to that moment when that happened. When you, when you got saved. When you became a Christ follower. What was in your heart? Was it sadness? What was it? Oh boy, here we go. I suspect it was joy. Like a weight had been lifted. My question for myself this week, my question for you now is this. Why do I continue to carry a weight of sin that I don't have to carry? Because I refuse to ask for forgiveness and restoration. Why do you? Joy is not happiness. Right? Because we ask for forgiveness and restoration doesn't mean we instantly get a big smile on our face. Our circumstances may not change. The pain and sorrow of life may not change. But in the midst of that, we can have joy. Why? Because this is a great paradox in some ways. That God can bring joy even in mourning. It's that kind of idea that lets the Apostle Paul write this over in Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 10. Listen to what he says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. 
in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now here's that verse that we love to quote in its right context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? I can't rip a phone book apart or bend a barbell. I can't lift a boulder. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I've learned to be content. Folks, I'm not saying I've learned to be content. Paul says he's learned to be content. I want to be more like Paul. We should all want to be more like Paul. In any circumstance of life, we can have joy, pain, sorrow, death, loss, brokenness. We can have joy. Isn't that great? Is it? That we can have joy in the midst of any circumstance of life? I remember last year, we got to experience this firsthand in our house at a really high level. Right? We got this little baby sitting over there now. We weren't sure she was going to be here. The doctors kept telling us every time we went to a doctor visit, she's not growing right. She's not growing right. She's not growing right. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. She's not growing right. And then, as that went along for a couple months, it began to be, she could die. You had to pick her up. I'm sorry. (laughs) She could die. Every visit. She could die. Watch her. Feel for her. Pay attention to her. She could die any moment. What do you do? In that moment, what do you do? You pray. And you acknowledge that even in times like that, God can bring joy. Why? Because we could still see her little foot kicking. We could still hear her little heartbeat every time she went to the doctor. We could still know that she was there. And in those circumstances, we could still have joy, knowing full well that that joy could end at any moment. We could have joy. And for David, it's the same thing. And he asks for the joy of his salvation to be restored. Restore to me the joy, not of his salvation, right? 
He's very clear. He doesn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Still, in the midst of everything he's going to, this outward focus toward God, not in on him, not, oh God, what can you do for me? Not, oh God, what does this mean for me? Not, oh God, what does me, 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 but you, 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 you. So over the course of those five months last summer, for the first time in my life, I learned to pray, God, thank you for this little blessing that you've given us, even though we've not even met her yet. It was the first time in my life I was able to not be focused on, God, fix this for me, which is where most of us go. We immediately go to me, me, me. He went to God, God, God. And said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And what happens when the joy of God's salvation is restored to us? Well, look at verse 13. He says, there's this little conjunction word there. Then. Then. I will. Right? He's broken He's asked for forgiveness and restoration. In the flow of the context, God has done that for him. Now he says, then I will. Do what? Teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Evidently, literally thinking of what he had done to Uriah. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, O God of my salvation. So what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus said that if you think against someone in anger, you have essentially committed murder. Right? Same kind of concept. All of us. All of us. Have blood guiltiness to a certain extent. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What happens? What happens when the joy of God's salvation returns to us? We start talking about it. Right? When we carry the burden of sin, what do we do? We get in the fetal position. We hide. We want to go in a closet. Why? Because sin wants to be dark. Sin wants to be alone. Sin wants to be hidden. Sin wants to be all those things that are not open. It wants to be closed. But when salvation is restored, when joy is restored, when a joy of the salvation is restored, then, then, that song on the radio means a little bit more. And we, we sing it a little bit louder when it comes on. Then, when we, when we sing a song in church, we sing it just a little bit louder and David doesn't have to say, come on now, sing out. Why? Because now there's something going on in our heart that's not hiding from God. Now we want to get as close as we can to Him as we possibly can. 
Now we run towards him more. Now we've, now it's even more. God, we need this and God this and God this and God this and God that. And oh, by the way, do you know him? Right? When we're far from God, we don't really want to tell people about God. When we're running from our own, when we're running from our own relationship with him, we're not going to tell others about a relationship with him. But joy of our salvation brings back a desire for that. But not only just a desire just for praise and worship, right? That joy turns our hearts toward praise and worship, but it turns our heart toward being a bigger part of other people. Look at, look at what he says here at the, in verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then I will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls, then bulls will be offered on your altar. What's he saying? Right? He's talking about the context of a worship service in his, in his day. Right? We don't sacrifice bulls anymore. Because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for our sins. In Hebrews we're told. He's saying now that my heart has been restored. Now that my joy has been restored. Now bring people around me. Bring me back into community. Bring me back into with people that love me and I love them. So that we can do this together. Right? This is the full context of what it means to be doing life together. Right? This is why small groups. This is why all that focus on everything together. Because it's good to be with other people. Right? If we're with other people, it's harder to hide sin when we're all doing this together. It's harder to hide from people when you're living life with people. Those of you that have been married a long time... You know that. There's no one who knows you better than your spouse. Good and bad. Same with God. And the same with others whom we live in community with. Right? The longer we're in community with other people, the more they go, something just doesn't look right today. What's wrong? And that's a good thing, right? We say, oh, judge not, lest me be judged. No, judge me. Come on, bring it. Is what we should be saying. Iron sharpens iron. One of my favorite verses is one that describes the armor bearer of the king. And he's got the king's back. That's what I need. I need some armor bearers. You need some armor bearers. We all need armor bearers. So we can do it all together. And we can all understand what it means to be broken. And to feel the devastation of sin. To feel its effects in families and on individuals. Together. To, to be able to then take and turn that into as an, an act of seeking forgiveness together. 
to ask God to restore the joy of our salvation together. And to take that out into a mission, onto the mission field, whether it's right here in Johnson City or across the world. Take that out and say, do you know the joy of the salvation of God? Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what I want. That's what my heart longs for. That's what all our hearts should long for. Is for our brokenness to be turned into joy. So that we would have this, we would be able to worship and praise and serve and love God first, others second. Why? Because He has mercy. He has steadfast love. He has blameless in His judgment. He is justified in His words. He blots out our sins. He hides His face from our sins. So that we can be this little light of mine. I want to let it shine. This little light of mine. I want to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And the way we do that more than anything else is this one phrase in verse 17. That the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Even in the days when they worshipped God by sacrificing animals, the sacrifice of the animal was not what God wanted from them. He wanted their hearts. He wants our hearts today. Just as much as He wanted their hearts through that old system, He wants our hearts today through Jesus Christ. And so joy can come from brokenness. And joy can happen no matter our circumstances if we will ask, if we will seek, and if we will live in such a way that we are constantly seeking restoration, and forgiveness. Martin Luther said it best when he said that the Christian life is a life of repentance. That's what we do. And so this morning, when I just ask you as we, in just a moment, as the worship band comes, I want you to just ask you just for a moment, as we listen to the words of the song, as we, as we reflect upon the words that we've heard in Scripture this morning, I want you to just take just a few moments. How would God have you respond to His Word this morning? I have the firm belief that the Bible says of itself 
that when the word goes out, God gives us his word so that we can be responsive to his word. One of the best examples of this is in, is in Nehemiah chapter 8. When after almost 80 years, the, the law is read before the entirety of the people of Israel for the first time. And they were broken. And they asked for forgiveness. And their joy was restored. So what's on your heart this morning? What do you need to reflect on? As the worship team comes, just take a moment of silent reflection. What do you need to ask God for this morning? What has He laid on your heart for you to respond to His Word with? Maybe you've never experienced the joy of His salvation in the first place. If that's the case, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be in the back. Maybe you just need to find somebody to pray with you right where you are. Maybe you just need to pray quietly. I don't know what it is. But I do invite you not to shut, not to shut off. Continue to reflect on His goodness, on His mercy, on His steadfast love. And so, God, now we just ask that as we have heard from you this morning, that your word would not return void. That whatever it is you would have us individually to learn from Psalm 51 this morning, God, you would sink it deep down, deep into our hearts. That we would be changed by David's heart cry out to you for for the return and the restoration of his heart before you. And God, we just thank you that we ultimately have this kind of ability because of Jesus. And so if there's any here today that anyone here today that does not know what it means to follow Jesus, God, I pray you would just have them ask someone that today would be the day that they would ask that question and they could know what it means to be a Christ follower. To know your forgiveness. To know your mercy. To know for the first time your unending, never stopping, never failing, unending love. And so God, we give these next few moments to you and trust that you have a purpose for them. In Jesus' name, amen. 